It's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. Kevin McCarthy continues to, along with the steering committees, build out the leadership team uh, for the Republicans uh, as they take control, as they have taken control of the House. But, you know, now that we have a rules package, uh, steps, next steps, uh, making sure the committees are uh, staffed, I guess some would say stocked. Uh, the House has other items on the immediate agenda. They voted on uh, the IRS agents. Uh, they should look a little more closely at rescission. That's one issue there. Also, uh, there's an upcoming vote on a bill to abolish the IRS and replace income tax with fair tax. Hat tip to Steve, and Steve Forbes, who started that many, many years ago in the, uh, in the early 90s. But uh, that, of course, is, you know, good in the house probably going to get all the republican votes you don't know but we'll see where it uh, goes in the u.s senate or not now the debate still continues who is kevin mccarthy going to develop into as leader will he be a effective or ineffective leader in the republican off the republican majority in the house sarah westwood steamboat institute blankley fellow investigative reporter at the washington examiner uh, has some thoughts about that so sarah welcome and uh kevin mccarthy and the new team being developed the new committee assignments and chairmanships being handed out what does it look like well, you know, it doesn't look like, I think, how Kevin McCarthy initially envisioned it before the mess that unfolded last week. I think Kevin McCarthy would have liked to retain more power over deciding those seats on the steering committee, on the rules committee, uh, subcommittee gavels, things like that that are normally sort of the spoils of war for the speaker. He had to give away in order to land the gavel. So while I do think that the conservatives achieved their goal and it's the you know, in a lot of ways, a really good goal to democratize the process and diversify ideologically the makeup of these really important committees. It's certainly not shaping up to be the kind of speakership that McCarthy wanted at the outset. Well, now the question, and, you know, to your point, the, the, the conservatives got a lot more of the concessions. There are some things that are achievable, some things that are steps. It's the nature of these kinds of deals. But, is he hurt or helped by this? And I asked that question from the outside the beltway perspective, because it's not just the members of the Freedom Caucus, which is more than double the number of last, you know, objectors, if you will, before votes were turned and he got the speakership at 216. But those members of the Freedom Caucus and many that don't represent it reflect districts where the demand has gotten louder and more fervent about fixing problems in Washington. So is that, or as I see it, or I guess I'll put it in a form of a question to you, isn't that an opportunity for Kevin McCarthy to become a stronger leader? It is, I, I think, and particularly uh, for those types of districts that you mentioned, where people are really tired of seeing Republicans, you know, talk about fiscal conservatism and talk about fighting the status quo and then immediately acquiescing to the status quo when they get to Washington. I mean, a lot of people are tired of that. That's why Donald Trump was able to have such a hold on the Republican Party. 
so in a lot of ways, this is a step in the right direction of challenging, you know, that Republican establishment that voters find so frustrating. One potential side effect of the rules changes, particularly with regard to the appropriations process, how, how Congress will decide government spending in the future. What that could look like is gridlock and infighting because those conservative members will have a lot more influence over what the appropriations bills look like. But is that necessarily a bad thing? You know, that Republicans who, who have ran on a platform of trying to lower government spending now will have real power to fight to do that and not have to submit to a process where they just get steamrolled. So while that might look like gridlock to the casual observer, I think it's ultimately a good thing for Republicans who said they want to try to cut the government's budget. Yeah, and I agree. I mean, gridlock's not always a bad thing. And in D.C., it could be one of the best chances against out of control in this concessions package and in the rules package. Uh, do you see something that leads us that way? Of course, there was a concession on various things, the Holman rule and others. Uh, but. They excluded the appropriations committees in the CBO scoring. And while appropriations are necessary, it doesn't mean they shouldn't be scored for whether there's rampant spending within those 12 appropriations. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a criticism that conservatives frequently level at Democrats, right? That they play budget gimmicks to try to get a good CBO score. They try to avoid getting things scored at all, right? I think that because the rules process is opened up, now um, Republicans will have an easier time adding amendments, debating those amendments on the floor, breaking up that appropriations bill into, you know, the 12 separate bills going agency by agency and looking at the budget instead of one big monster bill that everybody sort of stuffs all their wish list items into. That's something Republicans have been really frustrated with. That'll change the process a lot. It'll be a lot slower. It'll be a lot more contentious, a lot more fireworks for sure. But I think the end result could be that there's scrutiny applied to the federal budget that hasn't been applied for years. And that's one of the biggest wins that came out of this fight for conservatives. So looking ahead, Sarah, to the debt ceiling battle. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> I don't know if we should just call it a battle or the expected next political drama in Washington. Uh, do you think this gives us some measure of confidence or uh, anything that there will be, I don't know, some attention to out-of-control spending? Because Washington's problem isn't revenue. Washington, D.C.'s problem is spending. Oh, yeah. I think battle is an appropriate word for what we can expect to see. I mean, I'm hearing from Democrats here in Washington that there's a lot of frustration that Pelosi and Schumer did not get the debt ceiling dealt with before uh, before the 118th Congress began, before all the Republican members were sworn in, because now Republicans have a lot of leverage over that debt limit. And McCarthy made a concession that he's not going to pressure Republican members necessarily into raising the debt limit without agreeing to spending cuts somewhere across the budget. Now, those could be those could look like also defense cuts, which have rankled some of the more you know, defense hawk establishment Republicans. But overall, I think that's going to be a really key concession because now the Republican members and conservatives in particular are under no obligation to support a debt limit without getting those spending cuts. And there's not that much that Democrats can do in the minority to stop that now. Now, see, I'm a little crazy. I admit it. Maybe I'm just a talk show host. But I'd like to see a business-like approach to a lot of these agencies. 
And if the conservatives and reasonable fiscal, let's call it fiscally conservative members of Congress want to do something, they could start with haircuts, you know, a percentage across the board at some of these agencies, and then begin to look at deeper dives into specific funding structures. Rescission, I mentioned earlier, on things that have already been passed in some of the Biden tragedy from a spending perspective. Do you think there's a shot at that? I think that Democrats will howl and wail at any attempt to try to do that. Part of the problem is that the spending levels have gotten so out of control just over the last few years because of all of the COVID spending and the the stimulus spending, the infrastructure spending, that, you know, Biden can stand up there on the podium and credibly claim that he's lowered the deficit. And, you know, while that may be technically true, it's because he's just barely inched the deficit down from the historic out-of-control levels that it had hit in 2020 and 2021. So... Now, Republicans have the challenge of, you know, if you're going to bring deficit spending down to pre-pandemic levels, the, the top line numbers of how much you'd have to cut to get there are going to sound so scary to Democrats. But I think it's going to be really difficult to get it down to pre-pandemic levels. I mean, even just turning off the spigot of pandemic money has been, as we've all seen, a, a real struggle for Congress. So they definitely have their work cut out for them because of how much government spending has ballooned in the past two years. Yeah, but why should, de- why should Republicans care how much Democrats howl? I mean, we've seen this political drama before. No matter what you do, they're going to howl about something. <laughs> so isn't it time to be a bit more hard-edged and say, okay, scream and shout and beat your chest all you want, but we've got to do this. I mean, the economics of this doesn't care how much you howl. You'll certainly howl a lot more when the country can't afford its existence. Well, the the problem for Republicans is that their majority is so thin that it would only that howling could scare just a handful of Republicans in swing districts. And then the Republican agenda falls apart right on any given vote. They can only lose four members. And so there are definitely more than four scared, cowardly Republicans within the House conference who are in districts that maybe Biden won in 2020. Maybe they just barely won re-election and they're scared about having to go through a tough re-election battle again in two years. But whatever it is, you know, McCarthy has to to, to wrangle uh, a very fractured and very narrow majority into these things. So it will be tough, I think, for McCarthy to get the most aggressive conservative measures over the finish line for that reason. And you saw how tough it was for him to win the speaker's gavel. That was because his margins were so thin. And the conservatives will continue to have a lot of leverage over him because that margin is thin. But it also means that the Democratic howling could frighten enough Republicans on any given vote into submission. Yeah, I'm trying to look for the nice words to describe what (laughs) you're describing about these members of Congress. And, you know, I I think of the idea of public service, which is, you know, kind of go back to the founding principles of why you seek elected office. But the word I keep coming up with is cowardice. 
And look, numbers are numbers. When you run a business, you run your family. When you, you know, you do the numbers, you sit at the kitchen table or you sit in the boardroom or on the manufacturing floor, the numbers are the numbers. And it's cowardice for these representatives, no matter what district, no matter who won the district, that they can't make decisions based on the numbers. That is, (laughs) yeah, that's one way to put it. I, I think, you know, their political calculations are not necessarily fiscal. They are looking at, you know, how well, then many... What are they there for? <laughs> that's, a great, that's a great question. That's the what, argument what, conservatives I, made. I, I took a job so I could go do another job, you know? I mean, you're, you're a great writer, but, you know, if Sarah walks in and decides, I don't want to be a writer today, I think I'm going to go to the coffee room and sit there and be a... I don't know. I'm going to clean my desk and not do my job because I decided I don't think your bosses would like that. No, probably not. I'd probably get some uh, some nasty emails, but I, I do think, you know, you might not have a job. <laughs> there's been solutions proposed to that. You know, some conservatives have pushed for a, a term limit vote, for example. But I think the, the problem for Republicans is they didn't win enough seats in the midterms to give themselves that cushion to be able to do all the things they want because now those members in the middle who are just trying to stay in Washington will be able to hold up uh, a lot of what conservatives want to do. And that's just the unfortunate reality of Republicans underperforming in 2022. Yeah. What you just said is so true. They just want to stay in Washington. How about do your damn job and then we'll decide if you get to stay in Washington. But hey, what do I know about politics uh sometimes they win sometimes (laughs) we do sarah great to have you on good stuff as always thank you thanks for having me sarah westwood steamboat institute blankley fellow and investigative reporter for the washington examiner Join me live on The David Webb Show Monday to Friday, 9 to noon East on Sirius XM Patriot 125.